We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We're talking about identifying the distractions that come in our pursuit of the Christ and how it is important that we are able to identify those distractions and be able to avoid them and focus on what we are called to do or who we are called to see. Our anchor text has been Ephesians 12.1, looking onto Jesus 1 and 2. You are seeing as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, yeah, and looking onto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we've been on that, and we talked about how a distraction is not always a distraction. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It doesn't have to be a bad thing for it to be a distraction. If you're on a fast, for instance, um, and you, you see your favorite food, um, it, it becomes a distraction, right? doesn't mean food is bad. But in the light of what you're engaging at that point, food is antithetical to what you're about. So a distraction is not always a distraction. Um, so it's important to identify when something is a distraction. We went through and we looked at the distraction of frivolities, remember? Anything that doesn't matter, anything that doesn't count. Um, dude, William, please pass this, <laughs> pass this to the LG guy. Um, um, anything that doesn't matter doesn't count for something serious or of value. And so we said something frivolous can be taken seriously, and something serious can be treated frivolously, right? So we looked at all of that um, in our journey. And then we went on to look at the destruction of realities, right? And that's where that synopsis came from and how we said Africans are realists. You want to see something. Somebody prays for you and says, go. They're like, is that it? No mantle, no. You know, right there you have just instituted idolatry. Instantly. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what intention backs it up. It's idolatry. And then they will come and that's how you see people that peddle the word of God for profit. They will then come and tell you that, well, and they came and took a handkerchiefs from the body of, of, of Paul and went to heal the sick. That's true. But Paul did not bless any handkerchiefs or aprons. Oh, they came and touched the hem of Jesus' garments. Jesus could have said to us, henceforth, if thou needest to be healed of any issue, whether of blood or water, thou shalt find the hem of a prophet's garment and thou shalt touch it. No, it doesn't say that. So can we just stick to what he instructed and stop making what he didn't instruct into doctrine? Because not only did they take aprons and stuff from Paul, they, he, he, he was such that he was walking and his shadow falling was healing the sick. So it wasn't Paul saying, I am here and I, my shadow cometh with me. <laughs> if any of you be thou sick, bring them out into the road and my shadow shalt. Heal them forthwith. No. And then we also confuse the fact that there was a unique apostolic move of God with those guys that was unique to the early church. That's why Ananias and Sapphira died. It's not doctrine. 
that if you lie against the Holy Spirit now, you will fall down and die. Those guys were not even fully schooled in the extent of the finished work. That they abused liberty. I will talk about that tonight. So a pastor will come and quote that. Elijah called down fire from heaven to wipe 850 prophets. 400 of Baal and 450 of Ashtaroth or Asherah. Feel they said, let, let not one of them escape. And then you now come and say, oh God, that answer is by fire. You're not a believer. Because that is not the nature of God. How do we know that? They rejected Jesus in Luke. And the disciples of Jesus said to him, shall we call fire from heaven as in the days of Elijah to to, to consume these people and Jesus rebuilt them. He said, do you not know what manner of men you are? So it was not the nature of God because he wishes that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. So we must be careful in our exegesis of scripture. Everything in the Bible, not everything is the word of God or the nature of God. How do we see that from the lens of Christ? Who will have all men, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. When what God has in store for all men is salvation, not destruction. Otherwise, he will not have reconciled the entire world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5. Not imputing their trespasses against them, but giving us a ministry of reconciliation, which is informing people that they have already been reconciled to God. God is not destroying people he has reconciled to himself. Well, he sent his son, and his son did not die just for us who believe. First John 2. He's, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, but not just for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. So God sent Jesus to save people from being destroyed, and then sends fire to destroy them. Can we think for a second? How? If some people were destined to be destroyed by the fire of the Holy Ghost, why did God send forth the Spirit of God into their hearts crying, Abba, Father? Okay, they are not believers. How come the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world of sin, not the church? So the Holy Spirit began to work in you before you became born again. And so he will send by fire from heaven, destroy. That is not the nature of God. The fact that something was permitted... Does not mean there was the nature of God. The nature of God was not fully revealed because men were not positioned to receive his love. That's why the first thing he had to do was shed his blood up, shed his love abroad in our hearts. It's not the nature of God. So we come and preach stuff, quote stuff. Fire from heaven, God of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. These are not the days of Elijah. Is that the days of your servant Moses? No. His glory was a glory that was fading. Second Corinthians 3 makes it clear. You come and preach to me and Moses was on the mountain. His face was shining. He had to wear a veil. Exodus 33, 34. But Paul explains that he wore the veil because he was trying to hide a glory that was fading. So you can't come and preach to me a Moses message from Exodus 33, 34 until you run it through the lens of Christ. And the lens of Christ is that that glory was a glory that was fading. That ministry was a ministry of death. These are the days of Elijah. These are the days of when even John the Baptist was rendered a greater prophet than Elijah. And then you as you are, Yahweh as she is, is a greater person in the kingdom than John the Baptist. Yeah. You're coming to tell me Moses, Elijah. 
<laughs> Moses and Elijah. Where? How? So it's important that we see correctly. But as realists, we know we want to let the God that answers by fire. Let him be God. Indeed. No, 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 no. God is not trying to prove his godiness. He's, he's God. He's not trying to prove it. It's not trying to, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the era that we're in now, Habakkuk 2.14. He's not trying to prove that he's God. It's not, it's not like people, that do not, people do not know he's God. They know he's God, according to Romans 1. They just do not acknowledge him as God. But as realists, we want to, you know, ah, mantle, oil, feather, bring sand. You know? You'd be amazed at what we deal with. They're amazed. Because the average person is, is wanting something tangible. That's why they tell you there's a pot bread in your village. And once we come into that, it impedes our ability to see Christ for who he is. And he's not involved in all that razzmatazz. Even in the days of Elijah, God showed Elijah a type of the workings of Christ. A fire came. God was not in it. A wild wind came and God was not in it. A storm came. And God was in it. And what, what? A still, small voice. You shall hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. It's not in drama. It's not in drama. And until we get that right, we'll keep missing the movements of the Christ. It's not in drama. It's not in drama. And so we resort to these things to authenticate ministry. But the more we dramatize our delivery, the more it looks like, hmm. Hmm. So we start to resort to these things and we miss the simplicity of Christ. So simple that it is called foolishness. So simple. It's called foolishness. However, to those that are perishing. It's so simple. So we preach everything. If we don't preach Christ and him crucified and teach you how to see him, you are not a believer. If you don't understand the workings of the finished work and the nature of God in Christ, not in Elijah and Moses, not in Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Red Sea, Oh, are you saying that God does not have the power to kill our enemies? Oh, no, he always has power. But he also has power to kill you right now for your sin. He has that power. He didn't lose it. There's only one reason why he has not killed you. Christ, the blood. And you agree that it's the blood, right? But that blood doesn't cover your enemy. God sees the blood only over you. So when it's time for your enemy to die, what you're essentially saying is, God, don't see the blood of Jesus over my enemy. And that's a prayer of witchcraft. So you see, it's important to understand the nature of Christ correctly. Destruction of realities. Don't confuse tangibility with reality. We also looked at the destruction of necessities, our cares, what we want, what we're after. We looked at the parable of the sower, remember? Immediately, the cares of this world came and choked the word. 
we looked at the fact that we, and lately that theme has come up a bit about giving liberally in spite of. Because if you look at your necessities, you withhold even what you can give. So if, in spite of necessity, you will give because we see him and necessities no longer become a distraction. Then we looked at the distraction of priorities. And we looked at how life is a man's priority. And, if, and it's true, but then life is Christ because Christ is our life, right? Colossians 3. And today we'll look at the um, destruction of liberties. Galatians 5.13. One of the... Oh, there's money here. You saw it since? Yeah. Where are you in it? Where are you in it? Give my money. Galatians 5.13. Has this helped anybody so far? Galatians 5 and 13. For you, brethren, New King James, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Um... A lot of proponents against the gospel of Christ or the gospel of grace, what they try to do is to rob the believer of the liberty that he has in Christ. NLC says, but, but you, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. Just Look at all the scriptures and then put it together. Because this is a very, very dicey one to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll just stick to the NLT as well. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. You say... I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I'd read it in the message for further insight. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Go to chapter 10, same 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul repeats the same thing. Twenty-three. In the message says, Looking at it one way, you could say anything goes. Because of God's immense generosity and grace, we don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point is not just to get by. We want to live well, but our foremost efforts should be to help others as well. I'll flip to the NLT again. 
And again, I'm doing all the reading because of the recording. 23, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, 24, but for the good of others. And let's go back to good old New King James. 10, 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And look up very carefully. This is where some of you will just lose me, or I will lose some of you. There are no limits to the liberties of a believer. Works and self-righteousness guys don't want to hear this. Romans 8 makes it clear. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You hear what I just said? You have such liberty in Christ, it is scary. If you knew it. Because God is able to preserve you and to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before him. It's God's ability. If one man's disobedience messed up an entire generation before they were born, one man's obedience fixed an entire generation before they were born. Listen, you better deal with it. You had better deal with it. One man sinned. Everybody that was born of that man sinned. No unbeliever can walk his way into righteousness by good works. But I mean, so you mean that somebody cannot just be really good, abstain from sins, abstain from immorality, and just, just be a decent bloke? You know what I mean? Be a really decent bloke. And make heaven? No. Purgatory? No. Okay, first heaven? No. No. Like, no. Really? That's a shame, isn't it? But it sucks, doesn't it? It's not fair. If an unbeliever cannot by good works get into heaven. You see where this thing becomes very difficult to preach? This is where they pick up stones. But look at it critically. You are an unbeliever. It doesn't matter what you do. You cannot qualify for eternal life. Because you do not believe. Yeah. How then as a believer, you then have to be sure you don't do anything bad. So you don't qualify for damnation. What gospel are we preaching? Why are we shifting the goalpost? So eternal life has never been and will never be a condition or accessed as a condition by works. Otherwise, Christ died in vain. 
John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If anyone eats this bread, anyone eats this bread, what does he get? So those of you that preach that Judas Iscariot is in hell, you don't realize that before Jesus sent him off, Jesus fed him that bread. So we have to collect back the bread that Judas ate first or find a way to neutralize the eternal effect of the bread for you to find Judas in hell. And even if you succeeded in doing that and Judas ended up in hell, you also do not realize, oh Christian, that when Jesus died, he visited that hell with the key. If you succeeded in banishing Judas there at the time of the jailbreak, if only we would just by the Spirit see the letter. Just by the Spirit, see the letter. Is either this finished work is as far reaching as it says it is, or it is not a finished work? Yes. <coughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. Call it a work. <laughs> but that tetelesta that Jesus screamed was a fraud. Jesus himself has to come and amend that tetelesta. He owes it to humanity to retract. That statement, it is finished, perfect, and complete. Nothing remaining to be added. Delete Hebrews where it says, by one sacrifice forever. Delete it. Remove Hebrews. Decanonize it from your Bible. Don't quote it. It's either a finished work, or it's not. It's a work. And then like Islam... Jesus becomes one of the prophets. They acknowledge him as such. In fact, one of the greatest of the prophets. You might as well be a Muslim. Because they believe in the work of Jesus. In the sayings of Jesus. Just, it's not finished. It's not finished. Listen. If there's any assurance you must have as a believer, is that I am saved to the uttermost. For God is either saving to the uttermost or he's not saving at all. He's not, he's not, don't bother. He's either saving to the uttermost or he's not saving at all. One man sinned. Everybody that was born of him was born a sinner. You could not have walked your way to righteousness. You couldn't. And so another one is born. First Corinthians 15. The last Adam. He's born Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the just. First John 2. And we are born of his seed. 
incorruptible seed. Am I designed to do wrong? No. First John 1. Will I do wrong? Yes. In spite of my wrong, he covers what I did by what he did. So I cannot wrong my way to hell. You know, you can go out and God says, don't enter that taxi, don't enter that taxi. You still enter the taxi and you die. We bury you. You're just waiting for us. So. We didn't lose you. So your disobedience did not send you to hell. It just cut short your earthly existence and you truncated your ability to fulfill your destiny. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? You're a believer. You can't, you're not lost. You just lived a stupid life. And died at 25 when he should have waited till 80 or till he returned. So don't confuse truncating your earthly existence and fulfilling destiny with losing eternal life. They are two distinct things. Do you understand? It is on account of this gargantuan nature of liberty that Paul will tell them, see, you go wundo. If it was not as far-reaching, he would not have needed to warn them. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? If it was not as far-reaching, he would not have needed to warn. If alcohol is not harmful, they will not tell you that you are liable to whatever, 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 whatever. Or tobacco, it's, they will not need to tell you. But because you do so at your own risk, they tell you. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah, You should be more careful parking a car where there is a sign, cars parked at owner's risk. You should be more careful parking a car there than anywhere else. Because this sign means they don't thief person car here before. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. And the guy now came in and said, they stole my car, I parked it here, I'm sure this is where I parked it, blah, 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 blah. So henceforth, cars parked here at owner's risk. Don't come and tell us my car was missing, I parked it. I'm very sure it was here, I parked it. You parked at owner's risk. You now park your car there, you just signed a contract. And if your car gets stolen, yeah. Just sign the, if your car gets stolen, it's your business. Nobody will be held liable for it. So the reason why we have to inform you is because, listen, Charlie, Take responsibility for this. If why haven't we warned you that Fanta drinkers are liable to get diabetes? Because generally, it hasn't been categorized as something harmful. Do you understand? Yeah. So God now gives you grace. Do you know what grace is? Romans five says, "Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more." So the multiplicity of sin is more expression for the manifestation of grace. There can never, ever be more sin than grace. Never. So when sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That kind of thing will drive a believer crazy. Do you understand it? So Paul tells you, you can do all things. But not all things are beneficial for you. You have been saved to the uttermost, but you can't live anyhow. 
It's not telling you that mind how you live oh, because it will cost you what God has done. Mm. Yeah. This, this is heavy stuff, but I, 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 are, you, are you grasping it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. It, it's not that. It's not, don't, don't tamper with this thing or you tamper this thing, you go to hell. No, that, that's, that gospel is not the gospel. It's, there's so much liberty you have been saved. Jesus did the thing and sat down. So it's guaranteed eternally. That's why the Holy Spirit is a guarantee for the day of redemption. He doesn't leave. He can't leave. A day will come when we will be without the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, hmm? Yes. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer is not forever. <laughs> At the day of redemption, when we fully become him, yes. Holy Spirit's work has finished. You will not see him again. Because you are fused into him. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh. So when we sit with the Lord in that kingdom that is coming, that Basilia, you will not see the Holy Spirit oh. Because you have become him. One with God. No. The Holy Spirit is just living inside of you to navigate you through this eon and present you before the Father at the day of redemption. So at that day, he comes and says, Holy Father, I, have, I, I made it through with them. Now we become one with them and you. Adjust your thinking. Adjust your expectations. His ministry is not eternal. Because when we shed these bodies, we take on the one that he is like him. And when we see it, we will know what it looks like. But right now, we don't know. Are we going to have two hands, two eyes? Two? We don't know. Are we going to have six legs? Are we going to have eyes all over us like the four living creatures? Are we going to not need to turn to move like them? Like, like those four, wherever they looked, they went. We, we, we don't know. And honestly, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. So until the day of redemption, the Holy Spirit is duty bound to remain in the believer. Because the believer dared to believe. Such liberty. Such, such liberty, such grace. First Corinthians 8, you can eat food given to idols. You can eat it. You don't have to pray. However, if somebody who lived all his life serving that God saw you eating the food for the gods, their faith might stumble. First Corinthians 8, go and study it. So on account of that, they tell you, be careful around such people. So that your liberty does not occasion them to stumble. It's not saying you cannot eat it. It's saying be careful where and how you do. Do you understand? I'm trying to make you understand the far-reaching nature of the liberty of God in Christ. Romans 14. You can decide, you know what? Me, I'm not going to do church on Sunday morning. I'm not going to do on a Monday. We you know how people look at you like, what? Sunday morning? You are at home? 
and you are a Christian? What kind of Christian are you? Romans 14. Romans 14. I'll stick to the NLT. I have to round this up. I haven't started teaching this thing. I'll just... Romans 14, verse 1. I read from the NLT. Are we there? Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. How sad. Those who feel <laughs> those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Can you see liberties? And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. For who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand. King James says, for God is able to make him stand. Five, in the same way, verse five, it gets interesting. Some think one day is more holy than another day. While others, like Pav, think every day is alike. You should be each fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. 13, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. You are a seven-day Adventist. Praise God for your life. You go to church on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. Praise God for your life. I'm not going to wake up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning to go to no church. Praise God for my life. I want to wake up on a Sunday morning, catch up with my children. It's been a long week. Saturday's weddings have taken them over. So Sunday mornings, we have a huge breakfast together. It's probably the only time we'll have an opportunity to sit down together and all eat breakfast and, and see each other. And notice the pimple on this person's face and, and stuff. And then you just bless the Lord. And then if you're going to go to fellowship, you can do it later in the day. Only later in the day. You know, say, oh, you are a cult. You don't meet on Sunday morning. Have you read Romans 14? No, you want to go to church on Sunday morning? That's fine. You, 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 you feel like the mosque, the Muslims go on Fridays at 2 p.m. So you want to fix your church service at Friday at 2 p.m. Knock yourself out. Are we together? So do you see how much liberty we have in Christ? You can eat what you want. Dog, snake, leopard, mosquito... Cockroach, listen. Whatever you want. 
you guys don't understand. God himself, God himself gathered everything edible on a blanket and woke Peter up. Peter told God, God forbid. How many times? And God said, don't call. God said, why? He said it's unclean. God said, don't call on unclean what I have made clean. Not what I have called, what I have made. What made it clean? The cross. Yes, yes, yes. Because God made everything from the beginning to be under the dominion of man. So I, I, it's, it's necessary that we establish how much liberty we have in Christ. And the hazards that can accompany it. Human hazards that can accompany it. And you just blow up yourself on the earth. And you sleep. Believers at the Holy Communion unworthily and they slept. They didn't die and go into eternal destruction because believers sleep, unbelievers die. For this reason, some of you are sickly and some of you sleep. So it was not a punishment. It wasn't a punishment for eating unworthily. It was just a consequence of not cashing in on the finished work of Christ. Do you understand? Stay with me, come on. Do you understand? So there's liberty. But that liberty can quickly become a distraction. Because you find yourself busying yourself with what you think liberties allow. And you don't see or you lose sight of what liberties preclude. Does that make sense? All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. In our pursuit of the Christ, we must not allow, Galatians 5.13, our liberties to impede our sight of Christ. Because he's the reason we have that liberty. It's therefore irresponsible to lose sight of the origin and source and sustenance of your liberty on account of the liberties that he brought you into. That's where we're going with this. That then is the responsibility of the new creation believer to live worthy of the calling. Ephesians 4.1. Do you understand it now? So it's not me trying to attain something. It's me understanding that I have attained everything I could possibly attain. In Christ. And that calls me into a level of behavior, of conduct that is worthy of what I have in Christ. So every liberty I have must be spent in the light of he that gave that liberty to me. Does that make sense? So, oh wow, you went clubbing last night and you came to church. You're not a child of God. You can be a child of God. But how has going clubbing because you have liberty, benefited the pursuit of Christ and the kingdom. Do you understand? Jesus did not just go anywhere. Everywhere Jesus went had destiny in play. He loved to eat. He loved to eat. He loved to hang out with people. Jesus was very social. Very social. Very social guy. And then he was young. So he had energy. 
But everywhere Jesus went, something happened. He wasn't just hanging around because he could afford to, because he was not John the Baptist. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not John the Baptist. So if you went clubbing, and maybe you had a ministry to reach out to those people in the place, and in the midst of your clubbing, you're touching souls and you're sharing the light of the kingdom, and you're, then that was lawful and that was expedient. You have liberty. The liberty has expediency. Knock yourself out. So you cannot judge someone based on liberty. The liberty is inexhaustible. But what Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient, it means that you must always adjudge your liberties in the light of he who gave them to you. So why somebody else can do something and it's fine, you might do the same thing that person has a right to do and it's not fine. That's why we said what is right is, could be wrong and what is wrong. Are you following me tonight? That is what happens when liberties now become a distraction. You can have liberties. There's no, there's no limit to the liberty that you have. But it's a limit that defines its expediency. All things are lawful. Not all things are beneficial. So you can't just go and do stuff because you can do it. You will get away with it, but sometimes you might not. And we get caught up in liberty, so we come... Let me give you an example. You come to church to worship. I know that God has accepted you in Christ. You know, there's nothing you do or don't do. And you become like a desical. You used to pray before six hours praying. Now you know you have access. Your prayer life has died. You can't pray in the spirit for 30 minutes. You have abused liberty. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have abused liberty. As you grow in Christ as a believer, your prayer points reduce. But, but you should be able to stay and have staying power and just pray in the spirit. Open your mouth. You cannot be a believer in your mind. The Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows my mind. I don't speak much. I don't, I don't say much. I just show up and things happen. Paul told the church, pray with all manner of supplications. So even if all you're praying is, Father, your will be done on earth. If, all, if that's all you're praying, pray it. If all you're thinking is, is of, of, of power and you're praying the spirit for 30 minutes, pray it. If you wake up in the morning, there's something about your child that is not just, you know it happens. Just not right. It happens to some of you. I just start to pray. And you pray until you sense a shift. And you're gone. So again, you can abuse the fact that I, have, I don't have to pray for power. And you can be without power. Because you realize you don't need to pray for power. So all of a sudden, you become lackadaisical. You can't press in. You can't engage. You can't exercise spiritual things anymore. Because you feel you have liberty. Same thing with tithing. You paid tithe faithfully. Even when your house rent was not paid, you first remove your tithe. Because you have to go and present the tithe. They have to mark, it, mark your tithe card, you know, check you as a worker. And you were very faithful. Then you came into the, into the knowledge of finished work. Ah, I don't need to pay tithe. I'm not cursed. I'm not robbing God anymore. You now stopped tithing, stopped giving. You have abused liberty. And you lose sight of the Christ. Because the Christ was a selfless man. Totally selfless, man. And so you stop. You can't give anymore. Because I, I, after all, I, it's not because of my giving that I'm blessed. God has blessed me. 
in all manner of spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Are you correct? Yes. Do you reflect it? No. Are you seeing Christ? No. You just heard about him. Has this driven it home for anybody? So we understand that and our liberties don't become occasion for distraction. So we're looking at, why do I enjoy what I enjoy? Christ. We have liberties and we can sort ourselves out and God can, God, I'm a son now. So chill. Wait for me, I'm coming. Calm down, let me do what I need to do. After all, nothing I do can separate me from your love. That's a manipulative spirit. And that becomes a distraction. And some of us unfortunately do that to one another. The people that you know tolerate you the most are the ones you drive up the wall the most. Frustrate them because you know they cannot do anything. They can't, they will, at worst case scenario, they will cry. And there's some, some of you, there's something about sin that you made somebody cry that excites you, makes you feel powerful. That is sadist. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're just delighted that you were, you were powerful enough to say words to make somebody cry. Liberties become distracting. And so as we see Christ, like they said, let us become him. Like Daniel said, talk like him, think like him, act like him, love like him, give like him, take responsibility like him. I have liberties. It's my money. I earned it. I can do whatever I want with it. But there's a need. Is it possible that God could meet that need through me? You know, most times we are poised to receive needs met but not ever poised to be the ones through whom a need gets met. All things are lawful. All things are expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by them all. Has this helped anybody tonight? Has anybody reflected and realized that there's probably a lot of liberties you've taken for granted? If you be honest with yourself. It's a lot of liberties taken for granted, you know? And yes, you could get away with them, but they're not expedient. Don't be caught doing something you don't need to do, even if you can do it. Do you understand? Even if you can do it, don't be caught. Some of you, whenever you see food, you must eat. Just as long as it's food. You can't pass up on food. You must eat. Now we have occasion, we have liberty, but that, let that not be occasion for abuse. So I'm hoping that tonight as we go, we will reflect on our lives and be able to be honest with the liberties we have taken for granted. And trust me, there's a lot. A lot of times you should have prayed, you didn't pray. A lot of times you should have read your Bible, you didn't read your Bible. Lots of times you should have given, you didn't give. Lots of times you should have come early. You didn't come early because what, what have we got to tell you? What everybody has, they don't punish workers for coming late. There's no levy. We're not forced to give a particular amount every month. So you don't give. What would they say? Stand at the back of the church. I've been there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I grew up watching my mom get flogged with the ruler for coming late to choir practice. Yes. So how many of you have been around long enough? Yeah. My mom who gets flogged with the ruler. Those yellow, old yellow rulers. And yet they're still there at six o'clock. Now you know finished work. You see the far-reaching nature of what Christ did and you waltz into a meeting because nobody's going to reprimand you. You are abusing liberty. This is when it becomes practical. 
You are busy in liberty. You will not plan ahead to be there at 5.30. You, you just come in. The chairs are fixed. You don't know how it gets done. Chairs are rented. You just walk in, do your thing, hug everybody, and off you go. You are abusing liberty. You are a believer, yes, but you're not reflecting Christ. So see him correctly. Take responsibility and don't let liberties become a distraction. Has this been helpful for anybody? Let's give God praise tonight. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.